Yes, you, you lucky sausage. You found the Talk Marketing Show, where the League of Marvelous Marketeers give up everything you need to be more successful in your business. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, Hello there, my name is Martin Henley. This is the Effective Marketing Content Extravaganza. And if you're new here, you won't yet know that I'm on a mission to give you everything you need to be successful in your business, providing that is what you need to be successful is to know more about and be more effective in implementing marketing and sales so you can have more customers, more money, more profit, nicer holidays, nicer car, nicer house, nicer retirement, all of those good things. So what goes on here is I'm here giving you everything I know about sales and marketing. We bring in Melanie Farmer every other week to talk about the marketing news. We review the very best and the very worst of marketing content on the internet. And whenever I can, I pull somebody in with experience that will be valuable to you if you want to be more more successful in your business. And I extract that information from them in a process that we call talk marketing. So if you are interested to be more successful in your business, you should like, share, subscribe, comment, get involved, um, because that's what this is all about. So today is talk marketing. We do have a guest. And today's guest was, let me get to the right page. Today's guest is a graduate of the University of Canberra, where he achieved a degree in commerce, banking and finance. He is a certified customer value optimization specialist. Since he graduated, he has run projects and been a business continuity specialist and a transition manager for Alpha West. I'll put my teeth in and slow down a little bit and we'll get through this together. Um, He was also the CEO and co-founder of the riotact.com, which was a news and views forum based on activities around Canberra. He is now founder and chief fixer at Winmore Clients, a business that he has run for almost nine years. What you may not know is that he founded one of Australia's first social media sites way back in 1999 and started podcasting around 2001. He claims he makes a mean lamb to Jean. Today's guest is Tim Hyde. Good afternoon, Mr. Hyde. Thank you. It's great to it's great to be here. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to to sharing and and chatting uh, chatting marketing. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Fantastic. I've never it I've is... never had, I've never quite sort of had someone read my bio like that. It's kind of like oh, this is your life. Yes. Did I do a reasonable job? I started hey, off done, really poorly, done, actually, even by my time. I actually, I actually did uh, an IT degree back back even earlier than that um, in in ninety in sort of two thousand two thousand one two thousand no ninety one ninety two ninety three. Uh, okay. Before before there was an internet. Right, well, and then you studied banking, did you? I didn't even know you. Yeah, could like, study I banking. was always interested in banking. I um I managed to. You know, I was trying to live out my uh, my dream to be Uncle Scrooge or uh, what was the you know Charlie the Fox character in uh, 
in <laughs> in Gordon Gecko Wolf of not the Wolf of Wall Street. What was the other one? Um, it was called Wall Street, I think. Wall Street was yeah, Wall Street. It was Wall Street. Yes, uh, Charlie Shane's character in Wall Street. That's that was my childhood dream. <laughs> I was going to be this <laughs> mad stockbroker, uh, and okay. somehow ended up in in, <laughs> in marketing automation. <laughs> Okay, that's cool. Was Charlie Sheen a, a good guy in Wall Street? Gordon Gekko no, wasn't, he was, was he? He was, uh, he was the protege that uh, eventually turned in, in Gordon Gekko uh, and sort of was the whistleblower eventually. Yes, yes. Okay, so he was an okay guy in the end. In the end. He yeah. came good. He came he, good. He threw himself upon the sword and, uh, you know, turned whistleblower. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Whether or not you think whistleblowers are good or not, we'll leave that to your own imagination. Well, who I think Gordon Gecko. I can't remember who played in Gordon Gecko. Um, Gordon Gecko was the guy who went on to marry um, her off of um, Catherine. Uh, Michael, Michael Douglas. Douglas. Yeah, there we Michael go. Douglas. I was going all Catherine's the way around the, the around the uh, houses. <clears throat> yeah, so that's good. So. Australia's first social media site in 1999. Oh, I don't know if it's the first one, but I'm going to claim it. I might as well. I'll claim it. Um, there weren't. There can't have been that. There can't have been that many, to be honest. Uh, actually, uh, a mate of mine was working with a couple of guys working in IT in different in different areas, um, and a mate of mine who was working in the press gallery at Parliament House came to us and said, "Look, um, there's nothing like this where we are. Right? Why don't we create this?" forum that people can put up their own content and engage with each other and we'll just use a bit of tech to connect people up right because at that stage you know in the late 90s was everyone was starting to get this big crt computer monitor on their desk um, and they would take the yellow pages off the bookshelf because that was the you know the right height and they'd stick it under the monitor to to raise it up to the right ergonomic height right we didn't know much about ergonomics back in the day but that okay. was the thing that we're doing and of course rather than going to the yellow pages they would then sort of type into this keyboardy thing um to access information on this emerging thing called the interwebs and the internet right um and we've gone well why can't we allow people to talk to each other over this platform as well because the forums that had traditionally existed you right, you would go to a forum that might be running a community event right i remember you know Back in the late 90s, they were closing a lot of schools in Canberra and they would run these community events between at 5.30 to 6.30 at night in the local school. And, of course, about whether the school was going to remain open or not. And, of course, <laughs> parents with kids, what do they do at 5.30 to 6.30 at night? Well, they're actually feeding their kids dinner, you know, or coming home from work and not be able to get to those meetings. And we figured that just by taking that meeting and translating it into online context, people could engage with that conversation whenever they wanted to. Right, yes, and like and up, you know, like it and share it and whatever else. Okay, and of course that's what we have in social media. People can express ideas and opinions and photos and whatever else under their own profile. They're effectively content creators now, and other people can engage and share and like and and comment on that stuff. So it was serious then. You really weren't a million miles away from what <clears> was coming. No, not at all. No, not at all. We, you know, as I said, I think a lot of people sort of arrived at this idea at roughly the same time, um, you know, and, and they just built this stuff. Right? I'm not really. We our first seven, we we banged together with duct tape and, and an angle grinder, right? <laughs> Six hundred dollars worth of parts out of the computer fair. If you yes, yes. Those. 
Because I'm thinking, like LinkedIn, was LinkedIn the first? That was kind of around 2003. LinkedIn was... 2001, 2002 uh, started, and Facebook yeah. registered in 2004. Right. Okay. Now, we did have MySpace. I don't remember when MySpace started. MySpace started. I have to look that up sometime. Yeah, yeah. But again, it was about the same time. And um, and I think the difference between where, you know, where LinkedIn got its success was, was very much, you know, we're a business forum. And I mean, even if you remember the early days of Facebook, it was based off the back of hot or not. <laughs> yes. You know, let's put a photo of someone up and see whether they're hot, yes or no, right? And then yeah, it sort yeah. of built up with this community, you know, people could put their own photo up and they could engage with it. And, and that's what effectively we've done, you know, how social media is, is evolved. It's, a, it's given people the ability to create their own content and have other people engage in the community around that content. Yeah, yeah. So what happened to it then? You obviously stopped. or oh, it's still running. Still running. It's still so running. Got out, yeah, it's still running. I got out at the end of 2013, at least for 2014, um, sold it to the current business owners. They've taken it in a slightly different different direction, um, more newspaper, you know, online forum kind of thing. Um, we were the Wild West. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we, yes, yes. We, we let people say, say all sorts of things. But it was. But it was interesting there, to see. It? You know, when it was interesting to see the rest. community self-moderate around that content as well. Yes, that's really cool. That's really really cool. And your podcast, then you've been podcasting since two thousand one. Is that what you said? Two thousand one. Yeah, I think it might have been two thousand, late two thousand, early two thousand one. Um, you know, this podcast thing, and we, uh, you know, the, the other my co-founders and I, we um, we kicked off a, a podcast. Uh, which was called the Rugby Review. I, I don't even know if it's still online. It may be, it, may be, it might not be. Um, and we would review all of the Super Rugby games every weekend and we would talk about those Super Rugby games and give our tips and predictions for the following week uh, for Super Rugby. Um, and uh, and then we drink beer halfway through the, <laughs> halfway through the podcast and and review the beer as well. All right? And then we you know, eventually got to this point where we go to a pub and they'd give us the free beer. <laughs> You know, we just give them a shout out and say, this is the pub we're at today. And, you know, and so, yes. you know, this idea of kind of, um, you know, content being sponsored, I guess, was also kind of this space that was starting to emerge as well, that if you could create content and talk about someone's product, they would give you some of that product to review. Yes. And, and for us, it started with, you know, for us, it started with, you know, free gig tickets. <laughs> And, yes. and, and beer and then it was like well you know we've got to be your audience let's now command dollars for it and that dollars turned into you know to advertising revenue um you know and i guess you know through the noughties um you know we really saw the sort of the emergence of of this phrase we now call digital marketing as a as a space that, that people are in yes and it seems weird because I'm probably a similar age to you from the kind of the, the dates that you're talking about. Like th these things really didn't exist in 1999 and no, like, didn't. podcasting didn't exist in 2001. So it's weird to think it really is only 20 years ago. And it's weird to think actually how much the world has changed in that time because of the internet you know, digitalization, digitization. Yeah, I mean, even if you start to look at, you know, how, how much power people have, you know, on their phones to create and influence others. And, and marketing, in a sense, is just your ability to influence other people for good or ill. Um, 
and I watch, you know, watch my kid and, and his mates do the same thing. You know, they're constantly on their phones. They're constantly sort of snapping and sharing and, and talking to each other. And it's not, and I guess for this, the old school of us who might go, oh my God, that's not marketing or that's not, you know, that's not good. It's not good or bad. That's just a matter of perspective. It's just different from the way we've ever, we've done things previously. And I, to, you know, to this day still come across people who say, oh, I don't want to be on Facebook because I don't like it very much and it's a waste of my time. I'm going, I don't really care whether you want to be on it or not, right? But if that's where your customers are, you need to go where your customers are, right? That's yes. the watering hole your customers are hanging out of. So if you want to eat, <laughs> you need to go to the watering hole where your customers are. Or you could go somewhere where they're not and you could sort of die of starvation. Yeah, well, you absolutely 100% need to be where your customers are or you're going to starve. That's true. I'm wondering if if attitudes, it feels to me like attitudes to the internet are changing. Like, it feels to me like people were very excited about all of this stuff up until when, I don't know, 2015, 16, 17, 18. It was unbridled excitement, <laughs> passion for this thing. And I think... It, attitudes started to change then and I think they have changed now where I don't know I feel like maybe the internet people think the internet isn't such a great thing anymore um look like anything can be you know good or bad the internet itself is just a thing yes right the, it's a it's a vehicle to uh convey thought emotion you know through content to other people Yes. Right? So we can't go, the internet's good or bad. The internet's just a thing, right? Um, what is conveyed in it? I guess people have now looked at this and gone, what else can we do with this, right? Um, and, and that sort of human interaction with the thing can have a, a value attached to it, right? That's where we can apply subjective and ob objective judgment to say whether this is good or bad. Um, I think from, you know, if we look over the, just the last couple of years through COVID, you would say that people wouldn't have been able to connect with others in the same way without the internet, you know, without technology, without Zoom and Facebook Live and, you know, any other variation or version of those particular sort of platforms. It's just a thing that allows people to connect in a way that's meaningful to them right, in their little communities, however big those communities are. Yeah, 100%. And I think maybe it is just the application of that and maybe it really is the very tip of the iceberg, you know, the Twitters, the Facebooks, the Googles, the, you know, the, the way those corporations maybe are, are working it that maybe is because... Yeah, I don't know. It's probably not even useful to have the conversation right now, but it does feel yeah. to me like attitudes to the idea of the internet are kind of changing. Like people, where it was unbridled enthusiasm previously, like I remember yeah. a lot of people being really excited, like maybe we'll have chips implanted. That was 2022. That was supposed to happen. Um, and yeah, they would have been excited about really that. Whereas now, <laughs> what was that? Sorry. The face of obsolescence says I'm not going to put a chip into me because by the time I recover from this surgery... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. my chip's obsolete <laughs> <laughs> yes 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 i don't know it just feels to me like attitudes to it are changing i think you know it's being questioned at least now like maybe it went from unbridled enthusiasm to kind of acceptance to 
ambivalence to like, okay, maybe we should. There's probably a, there's probably a grief life cycle in, involved in that as well, because you, you're right. You know, if, if we go back 20 years, the internet, you know, like 30 years, particularly, I guess the internet wasn't a word that people used. There was a version of that. We allowed universities to connect with each other. And that wasn't very exciting, you know, but along came a GUI interface or a graphical user interface, along came video, along came this ability to connect in different ways. And people go, Oh my God, this is super exciting. And everyone jumps on. Um, and then to go and, you know, again, the sort of gets the full spectrum of humanity that maybe some people weren't necessarily exposed to previously, um, but they can now find, okay, uh, and find very easily um, through Google searches and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and that obviously comes with social risk as well. Uh, and and that just has to be has to be managed. Um, yeah. But I think all things considered, you know, the the speed of technology has kind of probably taken people a little bit by surprise. And in a marketing context, you know, just to bring the conversation back to marketing, it's also meant that people have had to adjust really, really quickly to a new paradigm about how people connect and interact with each other. Yeah, 100%. Thank you for bringing it back to marketing because that's what we're here to talk about. So that's cool. And I think... <laughs> I tell you what I think, but you're going to discover what you're going to discover about me is I'm just a bag of issues, man. I've got issues with everything, um, so um, so that's the way that's what's going to be directing this this conversation. That and the structure. So as you know, there are only five questions. So um, the first question is your specialist subject is marketing automation. So that's what we're going to be yep. talking about. Um, so the first question is how are you qualified to talk to us about marketing automation? The second question is, who do you work with? How do you add value to their lives? The third question is, what is your recommendation for anyone looking to get better at marketing automation? The fourth question, really simple, what should people read? And the fifth question, if you've had a good experience, I will be asking you to throw a couple of people under the bus who might endure or maybe even enjoy to have a conversation like this with me. So question number one, how are you qualified to talk to us about marketing automation? And maybe in that you need to define a little bit for people what marketing automation <clears throat> is. Let's, let's start there. Let's start with marketing automation. Marketing automation is the systemization of routine or manual tasks using technology to create leverage in the work that we would otherwise do. Okay. So let's, yep. I'll give you some, some examples. All right. Uh, the text message that you get to say that you've got a hairdresser's appointment or a doctor's appointment, right? That is marketing automation at work. There is a trigger event, which is the booking of the appointment. There is a time period about when this notification is going out. So either workflow or communication. And that's the, the action, which in this case is the communication that lets you know you've got a doctor's appointment. In the same way, the movie tickets you buy online, right? They are delivered through marketing automation. You buy a ticket, right? You don't want to wait to the following morning for someone to come into the office and say, I need to put this ticket in the post to get to you. Right? It's delivered immediately via email to your phone, you know, with a personalized QR code to scan for your movie tickets. Okay. So those are some examples of marketing automation. If you've ever downloaded an ebook, that's delivered by marketing automation. Um, if you've ever got a task reminder to do something, you know, in your personal life or your business, that's marketing automation at work as well. Okay, so it's just the systemization of routine or manual tasks using technology to create leverage. Good, 
Okay. But that's quite a broad definition of marketing automation because that's almost like sales fulfillment type stuff, you know? It can be sales fulfillment. It can be anything, right? I've got got an automation that I built just for shits and giggles as an example, just to say it can be for other things, right? Um, I've got one that literally sends my wife flowers. Okay. So periodically it sends an email to her favorite florist and says, I'd like to make this particular order. And it changes each time because I've built it that way. And they call me up and say, got your order, Tim. What's your credit card number? And I give it to them over the phone. I might change the message based on my mood or her mood as the case may be. And then she gets flowers the same day. Okay. How periodically? Like randomly periodically or? Oh, it's randomly, uh, except for our anniversary because then it stops all the other systems and runs it on the anniversary. Right. Good. That's a great example. Yeah, have you heard the stories about like there's this developer who sits, I don't know, and he sits there and for whatever, has his career for 35 years and then he leaves and then they discover all the automations that he set up like to, I don't know, for the, for the, I can't even remember what any of these things are, all these things, stuff like this, like every third Tuesday or something, he would be off and there'd be an automated email going to his boss saying I'm poorly today with X random disease, something, something. And then there's something to do with the, um, there's a, there's a, a, a thing that runs in the time it takes him to walk to the vending machine and back or, you know, all those, I love those stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. effectively the same, that's effectively the same thing. Right. And we're seeing yes. a lot of this, you know, seeing this, I mean, that this space is, is, you know, moving so crazily quickly that it kind of excites me and terrifies me at the same time to think what it's going to be like in 10 years time. Cause we're starting to see, you know, a lot of machine learning, and, and I'm going to say machine learning rather than AI, um, you know, it's starting to emerge in that space to create, again, to create communication or task or, you know, to, to drive an outcome, right? And that's effectively what this marketing automation space is about. Um, how I got into it is actually a really interesting space. Um, and it was off the back of the advertising we were doing with the Riot Act because um, we had, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of, of users um, sort of visiting every single month. And in fact, I think we had, uh, you know, hundred over 140,000 people visit the site more than a hundred times per month, right? Which is slightly crazy. Um, considering the population of Canberra is only 400,000 now, right? <laughs> 10 years further on. Um, and you know, we would have, it's like, how do I create my, my interest was, you know, leverage. My interest has always been le- in, in leverage and, and systemization. Um, and that comes back to the IT sort of side of stuff, right? How do I create more personal experience with less of my effort? And, and so we had, you know, again, people log in every time they log in, they get some form of experience. And I was looking at how can we create this sort of leverage in this experience, right? That makes them feel kind of really special about being where they are. Um, and so there was this kind of driver on one side, but at the same time, you know, through the noughties, we were starting to see on, you know, digital advertising become a thing for the first time ever. You could say that particular ad with that set of words is generating this much interest in your business. And I would have advertisers come back to me and say, hey, you know, that stuff, you know, the advertising we you ran for us, it wasn't effective. I'm like, well, why wasn't it effective, right? So putting my coding hat on, I was saying, look, if I, everyone's, you know, everyone knows the sort of the, the spinning wheel of death, right, on a, 
on a windows machine right you know your experience when you use code is the thing works or it doesn't work right when you get in your car and it doesn't start you go oh my car's broken but it's not the whole car it's just one thing in the car that's broken you know when your when your computer program doesn't launch properly it's not the whole thing that's broken it's literally just one line of code where the program's got to and it doesn't know what to do next right and in a marketing context, I was seeing the same thing. We would have advertisers run campaigns. We could see exactly for the first time ever how many people clicked on that combination of words with that size ad and that color and that creative. And they would get to the next step in their marketing journey, being customer's website or whatever it happens to be, and they would not progress past that point. And so I start to look at, well, if we need to fix that one thing, how can we fix that thing so that the customer progresses to the next step? in that customer journey, right? And how can we do that in the most efficient and effective way possible? Right? So when someone emails you through your contact form and it goes into an inbox somewhere and you don't reply because you're off down the beach, you know, surfing or whatever you're doing and the customer's sitting there going, well, you're going to get back to me. You're going to, what's going on, right? They just go on to the next business. But if we were using to an automation in that process, we would say, what do I need to do? Well, I need to manage customer expectations about how quickly I'll reply to them. So I'll use automation to say, trigger event, you've requested us to get in contact. Automation says, I will reply and say, hey, Martin, thanks for getting in touch. We're just down the beach surfing. We'll get back to you ASAP, right? Right, creates a better customer experience using leverage while you're off doing something else, which has got higher value to you. <laughs> Okay, cool, 100%. So I think you've gone straight to the issue. Um, the issue is almost... People don't like marketing automation. You're not supposed to do marketing automation. You know? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, look, I think what they don't like is not the automation itself, is they don't like being... Uh, they don't like the impersonal. Yes. And so what was the way you put it is like, how do I express more personableness without it taking up more of your time? Is that the way you expressed it? Yeah. Because we know, right? Energy. We know as we scale our business, we're going to have to deal with more people. Right? Yes. We will deal with more customers. We will deal with more staff. We will deal with more suppliers. We will deal with more strategic partners and JV partners. We will have to deal with more people. Okay. So our challenge as business owners is how do we scale without losing the intimacy that makes those relationships actually effectively work for us, but not take up more time and resources. And if we crack that code in our business, that is the thing that gives us a competitive advantage over everybody else in our space. Okay, so people don't like marketing automation. <laughs> Just so you know, they don't. And the thing is, I can be more specific about the kind of marketing automation they don't like. I can give you the very best example. The very best example are these LinkedIn bots. You know, the bots <laughs> that would go out and send a um, connection request, and then immediately you've had that, or you accept, and they'll send you something else, which will say, you know, something completely stupid. It never says, thanks for taking the time to connect. I think that's what it should always say. It always says, oh, you know about me now, and I do this, and I do that, and I do something else, and I do, it's just like the worst marketing ever. 
so that's the marketing automation that people really don't oh that's the best example of the marketing automation that people don't like um because people aren't looking to crack this code they're just looking to smash the shit out of everything they possibly can like in their marketing you know so again it's like the internet isn't bad it's the application of the internet that might be bad so marketing automation isn't bad but it's the application that is bad i think is the situation yeah, absolutely. Um, right. And again, you know, as we connect with people, we want to increase intimacy, not decrease it. A hundred percent. And and so what we've seen over the last, you know, 20 years as we've gone, oh, databases are a good thing because if I collect more names, I will be able to sell more stuff. Yay. Right. But in the process of trying to sell more stuff, we've tried to te- we've tried to go, well, everyone's at the same point in their journey. And so therefore everyone will buy from me. Right. If I send out the same message, of course they won't do that. Right. You know, Person A, you know, Sally hasn't gone through five dates before you pop the question, you know. Yes. Janine, you know, you've been on 15 dates with Janine and she's absolutely ready to, you know, give you a peck on the cheek or whatever, right? <laughs> but it is it is a bit like that. If we if we went to someone, you know, if we went to a sort of lineup of people and said, oh, you know, do you want to buy from me? 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 Yeah, absolutely. You're going to find one person eventually who says, they want to do that but everyone's on their own journey if we start treating everybody the same they're going to be less likely to buy from us and so we've got this sort of you know this difficulty i, I want to sell to more people but i've also got to increase the level of intimacy of those people with each of those people in order to do so and how do i do that right in a way that yes. actually seems personal yes and this is the trick then is mm. Okay, what do I want to say? I want to say so much. I definitely want to say so much. I used to do this thing in the trainings where I would draw a line. I would say, like, this should be the customer journey, um, where basically they might see an ad, they might see a social post, they might receive an email, they might sign up for some email, they might come along and attend an event. Like, this is the the journey that they go on to, to becoming to know more about you. And then there might be a, they might come to the event. You might have a conversation afterwards. There might be a phone call. There might be a proposal. There might be a presentation, you know, all this stuff. And what I would say to people is that your mission is to get to the point where you end up being godparents to their kids. So it depends on what you're selling. Obviously, if you're selling, I don't know, pads, you can't be godparents to every one of your customers' kids. But, you know, that's, that that's, should be the mission. And the mission should be to get face to face as quickly and efficiently and appropriately as as possible. Do you know what I mean? Because that's when the inter- that's when you achieve a quality of interaction. What's the point of this? The point of this is that people forget that, but or people don't care about that. Do you know what I mean? It's like because because I worked in South Africa for five years, what would happen is you meet someone in South Africa in a work context and they decide in about 30 seconds if they like you. And if they like you, they'll invite you to their house that weekend for a braai, for a barbecue. You know, um, what's the point of that? The point of that is, yeah, in South Africa, literally, I would be trying to pitch a client, trying to get hold of a, a prospect. And someone would say, oh, he's housemates with so-and-so, this other supplier. So you don't ever stand a chance. You're never going to sell to that person because they're mates. Do you know what I mean? Mm. This is all being forgotten with the way that we're working on the internet. Like all of this personal, not personalization, actual personal 
actual being interested, actually engaging with people, I feel is kind of going out of the job and it's going out of the job because of marketing automation, which is directing these bots just to spam people all day, every day. Correct. Absolutely correct. I um, reminds me of another uh, young fellow who was from South Africa, but living in, had moved to New York. Uh, and we were chatting about his automation, his systems, and he built some funnels off the direct marketing sort of mindset where it was like, literally, I'm going to run ads, I'm going to show you my product, and then I'm going to upsell, upsell, upsell you or downsell you, and then see you later, here's your product, piss off, right? Um, it's become so transactional in that nature, right? That yes, you will absolutely get some business for the short term, and then you'll run out of, you'll run out of opportunity. Right? because you're just burning every single relationship that you create. Uh, and if you treated your friends and family like that, you wouldn't have them around for very long. And I, I, I recall asking him and said, is that how you buy? When you buy from somebody, is that how you buy some things? Right? And unless you're filling an immediate lead, like shit flowing out of the toilet, or I'm starving and just give me food, or I'm, you know, I've been in the desert for 12 days and I haven't had a single glass of water, um, people don't generally buy from that i think what happens is that people buy from the people they like i mean you need to re remember that that's why that's why massive brands like coca-cola etc um do s such an incredible job of trying to build uh, a a personal brand identity right that people can connect with and like but if you think about all the th all the major purchases that you've done you know in living memory um I can almost guarantee you that you've bought from people that you go, I actually really like that guy or that girl. I'm going to buy that thing, right? I have a need for it, but I'm going to buy it from you over somebody else, right? Whether it be a fridge, a car, you know, dinner, whatever it happens to be, you'll, you'll generally go to what was the, 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 as you say, the personal relationship that I had with the person selling the thing to me. Because if I like you, I'm more likely to trust what comes out of your mouth. And if I trust what comes out of your mouth, I'm more likely to buy the thing you're trying to sell me. Right? Because I believe it will make a difference to my life. Yeah. Okay. And obviously, there's visibility. If I don't know who you are, I can't buy from you at all. Right? But those three, you know, they're, they're sort of like three legs of a stool. Right? I've got to be visible. I've got to be likable. And I've got to, you know, know what the hell I'm talking about. I don't need to be the expert, right? I see, you know, so much of marketing now is about let's try and out-expert each other. And I'm like, look at that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a mugs game, right? Just be more likable. Yes, yes, yes. I, because I think there's a, a – uh, do you know Mark Carter? Have you heard of Mark Carter? I don't know Mark Carter. I spoke to him a few weeks ago. He, he's written a book called Add Value. And one of the values – he talks. he's got like this five – five value model thing there's like five aspects to this and one of them is the relationship and i think i've always been a relationship salesperson i've always made friends with people so that they buy from me you know that's that's been my that's been my drive um but i think because that's going out of fashion or becoming increasingly rare i think that's going to be the thing that people value more in the future i 100 percent do i don't make a decision to buy something without seriously investigating if I can, how quickly, how easily I can get to a actual person if something goes wrong. Do you know what I mean? But it feels to me like getting to an actual person 100% is 
becoming increasingly difficult. You know, strategic, yeah. like they've decided people are expensive. They don't want people engaging with, with people. Well, yeah, it's counterintuitive. <laughs> yes. It's totally counterintuitive to me. I don't understand it. I mean, I, I got referred to a company the other day um, and I was just given a sort of landline number. So I called it up and I got through the, you know, I got the robotic voice, you know, yep. message you know, like you get with some of these bigger companies. I'm like, if you don't know the extension of the person you're trying to reach, and I go, I don't. So, and they go, please leave a message and we'll get back to you. And of course, they haven't gotten back to me at all. I haven't heard anything back right there was not even an opportunity to put my phone number in and say here's my phone number other than as a voice message presumably someone can you know understand my accent um but of course i haven't heard back from them i'm like well i don't know if i want to work with you now because <laughs> you've given me such a terrible experience of your product I'm, I'm not surprised that you know i've been referred to you to work on your marketing because if your customers have this same experience I can almost guarantee you that they're going to go, oh, this makes me really feel real special. You yeah. Know, they're not going to do that at all. They'll just go, I'm going to go somewhere else. And we know that, you know, when you know when you call one of these big companies and you get someone on the phone who goes, you know what, I can actually hear you. Absolutely. Yeah, I get that. Let me see how I can help you. And you go, oh, my God, wow, a real person. A real person's helping me. A real person listened to me. Yes. And yes, it is expensive, right? But, you know, with, with the automation side of things, we want to look at how can I create leverage in what that person has to do? Okay, so I might have five canned emails that I need to respond with. Choose number one, choose number two. Great, okay, it's got the attachment already done to it. So I can leverage that human touch, but not replace the human touch. Okay, excellent. I think we have to be really careful about defining what it is that you do because oh maybe we don't <laughs> you know it's fine <laughs> um because i think the, the whole idea of whether you call it um automation digitalization all of it i'm going to say and i'm making this up so i can only be right 97.8% of the intent behind all automation digitalization is to generate more profit irrespective of the needs of the client or the staff member or the whatever it's all driven i think 97.8 percent of it by increasing profitability by reducing the human element that's what i want to say yeah i would agree with you and i think that's where people get it wrong yeah 97.8 percent are we settled i uh, give or take a you know 10 percent confidence interval <laughs> okay so then the question is why do people get it so wrong i think it's uh, i think uh, you, you made a really good point you know, just a bit earlier you know when you drew that you know draw that line and talk about this idea of customer journey all right customers do go on a journey with you and the first thing is they've got to become aware of you what happens is that people get impatient and they try to skip to the end right but if you were to go out on a date tonight uh, and go up to the first person you meet and say, hey, you're a bit cute. I think we should have 10 kids. Right? I suspect your success rate is going to be incredibly low. It probably might increase a little bit the closer you get to 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, but it's, it's generally going to be really low. And I think that's what happens with companies is we almost 
you know, we talk about speed to sale, but we almost we almost rush to the sale without actually getting the customer there. Our goal is to get a sale, right? Absolutely, right? The goal of any business is to make more sales, right? It solves a multitude of sins, right? But we want to make more sales. But if we get the thing that we want our customers to do is not necessarily their priority. And I think this is a really important. The thing that I want my customer to do is not necessarily their priority for today. And so if I try to jump ahead through those stages of intimacy, they'll be like, I'm not ready for that yet. I've got other things to do today, right? In the same way that if you were asking your kid to clean their bedroom today, I can guarantee you they've got about a billion things to do ahead of cleaning their bedroom, which is why as parents, we have to ask them like 15 times. I say, why haven't you cleaned your bedroom yet or unpacked the dishwasher or something? They've got other shit to do that's a higher priority for them than the thing we want them to do. And in business, it's very much the same. I want to sell you a new car. I want to sell you a CRM system. I want to, you know, get you to run Facebook ads. That's great. But today, I've got to pick the kids up from school and I've got to get the medicine for the pet, for the dog. And, you know, I've got to have that difficult conversation with that staff member who's, you know, hasn't been coming into work because they've been sending me an automated message about what random <laughs> illness they've got every three weeks on a Tuesday, right? You know, there's other priorities that our customers have and we need to be patient with our customers to meet with them where they are at, not where we want them to meet us. Good, 100%. Now, this has been an issue for me. I told you I had issues. Here they come. This has been an issue for me my whole selling career because... If I've ever had sales training, for example, what they will try and impress on me, in exactly the way you're saying that we try and impress on clients that they should buy when they may not be ready to buy, what they will impress is their sales cycle. And I don't care about the company's sales cycle. I care about making it easier for my customer to buy. And the way that's done the most easiest is by stepping into their buying cycle. So I will say, how do you want to buy this thing? You know, what has to happen next? Who needs to be involved? You know, what what do you need from me? All these kinds of really obvious, easy, open questions, unless you are literally not caring about your customer at all. Um, So this idea of um, like customer centricity is quite fashionable to talk about. But nobody's doing it. Nobody's even really interested in doing it, is my experience. Well, so, it, it, I, think it, I think that's somewhat driven by the short-term cycle of leadership. Right? Um, yep. Whether it be in politics where we've got three or four-year terms and I spend the first year trying to get out of my election promises, you know, second year doing some stuff and the third year trying to get re-elected. Um, yes. you know, the short-term cycle of, of leadership positions, particularly, say, in corporate, is, is, is also the same sorts of issues. If I know I've only got my job until I get my next promotion, Right. I'm going to do everything I'm going to do to maximize my short-term gain, right? So it's localized benefit. What will benefit me most right now? And that's the behavior I'm going to drive, not what's going to be the global benefit for us as a business as a whole or for my customer as a whole, right? And, and we're, we're driven by that short-term immediate gratification sort of thinking. But the more we can shift into the global benefit, the more likely we are to get business outcomes or and customer outcomes that serve our business's growth in the long term. Yes, 100%. And I think, like you were alluding to before, you didn't quite say, 
we're all obsessed with making a sale, but nobody seems to appreciate that the real value in, in a business is having customers, not having singular sales, like selling to lots and lots of people. Having far fewer customers who buy from you regularly is much more valuable than having lots of one-off sales. Good. Well, okay. I think for like I think I think for most businesses, right? Let's go to you know small me. Let's let's not worry about sort of big corporates, but I think for most businesses, you know, in the sort of small micro, small medium sort of space, um, if you were to add a hundred new customers, right, that would completely in the next twelve months that would completely change your business. Yes, transform transform it. You'd be something completely different. Um, but what happens is that we just connect with more and more and more and more and more people hoping that we're going to find the next one today. And so rather than going, if I had to, if I could only ever take on a hundred customers ever in the future, right? How would I go about doing that? And to be honest, I wouldn't try and make a sale today or tomorrow or the next day. I would probably wait a month, two months, three months, four months before I tried to pitch anybody anything. Right. At month yes. five, maybe I'd say, unless someone really says, you know, hey, Tim, how do I buy from you? And you go, absolutely, well, this is how. But I suspect if you did nothing for month one, nothing month two, nothing month three, nothing four, by the time you get to month 10 of building really serious relationships with your with your ideal prospects, you would find that by month 12, you would have 100 customers. You would absolutely have 100 customers in 12 months if you were patient enough to wait for 12 months to do so. Right. In the same way, if you were to win lotto, right, win $20 million lotto, invested at 5% today, right, and not spend anything for the first year, every year thereafter, you would have a million bucks. But if you spend a million in the first year, you're going to have less and less and less and less and less. Right? Yes. So again, it's, it's changing the, the thinking about how we approach our sales and marketing to be a little bit more patient, to connect more deeply and more personally with our with our customers, with our partners, with our staff, right? And you know, you'd get them. You'd actually, I think, be better off. No, a hundred percent, you would be better off. Like a hundred percent, you would be better off. I mean, they, they did a thing. I don't know if they did a thing in the UK. They, we talk about a thing they did in the UK where they surveyed businesses and they found it's 17 times more expensive to find and win a new customer than it is to keep an existing customer. And that's the process that everyone's in. Everyone wants more customers, more customers, more customers. Nobody's in the business of making sure that they are firstly delivering the maximum value for their, for their existing customers and um, extracting the maximum value from those customers. You know, So I think there's definitely something very wrong here with the thinking and well, again, it's, it's the... this immediate desperation right it's immediate results if i bring on you as a salesperson and you don't deliver in month one or two i'm like now i'm starting to get really nervous right month three yes. uh, right you're out let's start the yep. process again um but you know if you're built again if we that's the sort of local benefit thinking if we're starting to think more globally right yeah. What are we building towards? What's the strategy in a marketing context? Have we got our key indicators that tell us whether we're moving in the right direction or not, rather than just going, did I just look at the end result? Yeah. If we look yeah. into the oven and see the cake rising, I'm confident that I'm going to get the cake at the end. 
Yes. But if I keep taking the cake out and going, why isn't it cooked yet? A hundred percent. It's never going to be cooked. Um, and I think, you know, this is possibly one of the, the biggest mistakes we see with, with how people are doing that marketing approach right now. I'm so desperate to win my next customer that it comes, it comes across as desperation. Yes. Right. And our customer, as a result of that, is starting to look at us going, Ooh, you look a bit desperate. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Like these people are too pushy or they smell it. If you're desperate, you know, they smell it. Yeah. And See, I would go beyond your, I like your, I can only have 100 customers in, in the lifetime of my business. I like that. But I would go beyond that and say, if everything's going to be cool for the next 30, 40 years, how many customers do I actually need? You know, because I don't need every customer I can desperately drag and drug and drag into my business, you know. How many do I actually need? And if people work back from that dollars and cents I need this amount of money and and how many customers then do I need to do you know what I mean it seems like I don't even know if this is relevant but it seems to me like that there's something in the unlimited nature of people's aspirations in running their business that causes that desperation that causes them to have to have every customer they could possibly have and have no time to even slow down and say actually am I adding value to this person's life or are they actually adding value to my life? I just need more and more and more customers. Mm. Yeah, good. Let's bring this back to what you're doing because I think the question has to be, how do, given that everyone does it so incredibly badly, this idea of marketing automation, uh, automation digitalization, whatever it is we're going to call it, given that everyone does it so badly, what we need to do is how you do it well. Yeah, I think I think it's, you know, again, we're just looking at what's the leverage, what would you do or say to a particular customer at the same time, right? Do I need a human touch point at this particular point in my customer journey? And that's why, you know, it's so important when you start looking at automation in your business, is we look at um, what that customer journey looks like. And and where I'm going to automate something in my business, will it add subtract or be neutral to the customer experience in taking them to the next step all right i think if we if we start looking going okay will this actually detract from my customer experience and make things less personal do i really want to automate that and just make it a kind of generic text message or a generic email all right um if it if the answer is yes to that question we should change how we or you know we either don't automate that all right or we look at how else we can automate it and create a different experience for our customer. So I think that's the first thing. If it's if it's neutral, going to add to something, right? So just to take the example of the movie tickets, right? By automating the movie tickets, it actually adds to the customer experience because they get immediate gratification for the thing that they want. And they don't necessarily need a human inter interaction or touch point at that particular stage. Right. So yeah. is the automation going to add to the customer experience or, or take away from it? Okay, cool. And I'm thinking about it maybe a little bit more basely again, I'm a base kind of a person is what like we're saying that people buy from people. So what are the characteristics that people are looking for? 
they're looking for honesty they're looking for reliability they're looking for maybe insight they're looking for all these things so the question then becomes how do i become well honesty is the, the the elephant in the room but how do i how do i present as more honest reliable insightful you know like how can i use automation like and reliability is probably the one that you're talking about there with the movie tickets don't buy movie tickets from me because if i walk away i will forget immediately that you bought those those movie tickets and you will never get them you know so like delivery of of things that i commit to doing that makes me more reliable the elephant in the room is this honesty thing like it, because you was the words you you seem more personable or personal yeah look I, I, you know this is where we go you know don't try and pretend it's not automation when it is automation yes <laughs> for start to say hey this is an automated message yeah that's that's okay if if you're you know honest and transparent with people again it's going to build that 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 trust relationship with your client you know if you try to pass it off and you pass it off really badly say this is me um, they're going to think you're actually just a terrible copywriter or <laughs> go, yes. why would you tell me that's, you know, you're, you're connecting with me, you know, uh, when using automation. And just use the LinkedIn one. I've seen messages that say, hey, it's great to connect with you really, really authentically. <laughs> if you're going to connect with me really authentically, don't use an obvious system that, <laughs> that yes. says it's not authentic. You know, automate the task for me to, for you to go and do it manually. Yes, a hundred percent. Okay, send that task a... to somebody else if you need to. Yeah, right. If it's not you connecting through your through your Facebook chat, it's your VA. Get them to say, "Hey, it's you know Tamara. You know Tim's VA here. Uh, just wanted to reach out and arrange a time to to connect with Tim. Is that does that work for you? Yep, absolutely. Yes. I had one today. It's ridiculous. So this woman who's a, some sort of influencer, LinkedIn marketing sort of a person, the message read something like, um, I was impressed by your background. So I thought I would reach out and connect. And she obviously isn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, no. I mean, okay. If, I mean, you can see that, right? Because you can see who's looked at your profile. Right? So if yes. she hasn't looked at your profile, I'm impressed with your background. Let's connect. Right? You go, yes. well, hang on, this is a, there's this disconnect between this authenticity, that authenticity and the actions that we can see to actually get there. Um, so if you're going to use it, use an automation that actually checks out someone's profile and then comments on something specifically that they're doing. Yes. Right? Because again, the goal of connection is, <laughs> is actually connection, not disconnection. Yes. Right. And, so and this is, we to... don't want to automate for automation's sake. We want to automate with a compelling business case that advances our business goals to connect with our customers, not takes that away. Yeah, 100%. And then the thing is, I think there's something else that's going on, which is she's decided that she's going to, she's like a attractive female. So we know on LinkedIn, like attractive females do way better than everybody else, you know, because they're targeting sad middle-aged men like me. Um, but she's kind of leveraging that and then going with this hollow flattery. I responded and said, that doesn't sound likely. And then she went completely on the defensive and within five minutes she'd blocked me because I was being rude and, and shouldn't be doing business with women apparently or something. I don't know. So there's that as well. But what is the point? The point is that people don't really like a much better, I think, 
is some sort of expression of this is how I can add value to your situation in that message, whether it's automated or otherwise. Like I work with people like you helping them to achieve this thing. And then yep. I read that and I think, oh, well, that sounds cool. Or no, it doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, don't I, would, I would even take that further. Again, if you're going to do that and say, we work with people in this, this is the kind of result we achieve. Yeah. Is that something you're looking to do right now? Yes or no? Just, just shoot me a quick yes or no. Yes, yes. And yes, we'll chat or no, we won't. And no is like, hey, no problems at all. Uh, you yeah. know, if I can be a resource to you in the future, please yes. reach out. Oh, that's okay. Yes, because uh, there's there's lines here, isn't there? Where it's like, where is where is it? That's marketing. You know, nobody expects a hundred percent hit rate on their marketing. It's like here I am offering value to people like yours, resolving these kinds of issues, achieving these kinds of results. That's marketing. You know, and like you were saying earlier, it doesn't have to be today. You know, if you're the right person. I don't know. It seems to me like AI. The, the, <laughs> I'm all over the place today. But the danger is, if you don't know how to do it well, if you don't know how to do it well, don't code it. Do you know what I mean? Because then what you're doing is automating really bad marketing. It's going to accelerate your demise. I've, I've seen a bunch lately. It says, hey, I'm just reaching out. We're trying to connect with accounting agencies and accounting firms and blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God, that's great. I'm not an accounting firm. I don't know how I got on your list. Yes. But it, again, it immediately disconnects. It says you haven't done, you haven't cared enough about me, right, to want to connect in a way that I, you know, that says that I should care about you. It comes okay. back to who do you want to do business with? People want to do business with people who are honest and reliable and hopefully a little bit better equipped to resolve their issues than they are. You know, I don't think the criteria even goes beyond that, you know. Yeah. And so the honest thing is, yeah, why not just oh, be honest? You want to be at least competent. <laughs> you got to be What's at least that? competent. If you're incompetent, don't tell people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is what I mean by a little bit better than they, than they are to equip their issue. Even if it's yeah. just because you've got the time and the, I don't know, whatever. Um, so really then, this this idea of marketing automation for me needs to support me to be able to, to be able to be more honest and reliable and available to sort out their issues. Yeah. Maybe we should get to question number two. Question number two is, who do you work with? How do you add value to their lives? Well, a lot of what we just talked about is, is how we add value, but... Um, yeah. We, we've got a, a massively eclectic list of clients, everything from clairvoyance and sex workers to, you know, agribusiness, uh, e-commerce, professional services, medical imaging, you know, mining companies, finance, um, and so on. Typically, uh, we have done a bit of e-commerce and retail as well, but not and hospitality, but tend not to do a lot of that sort of space. Um, but it's generally people are looking to, you know, having this sort of issue in their business about how do we, how do we continue to grow without necessarily, you know, but grow through, you know, grow through leverage question is, is, is the big one um, that we, we often get. And so, you know, that might be at different stages of growth for different people. Right? So, um, you know, if you're a coach or consultant, it might be, you know, you might be getting to that at, at say 10 K a month in revenue when you go on, shit, I forgot to follow up on that invoice or I didn't send that proposal last week or, um, you know, I sent that proposal six months ago and haven't heard back from them. What do I do now? Kind of thing, right? And so 
you know, that might be that stage. You know, if you're a mid seven figure business or a mid eight figure business and suddenly going, all right, we need to break into a new market. We don't really know what we're doing or how we're doing it. I think a lot of mid seven figure businesses also throw their marketing at the most junior person in the business. And I think marketing is probably the most important function in a business that you could possibly do um, because that's the oxygen. <laughs> that's, the, that's the oxygen that feeds everything else. Uh, and if you don't get it right, you're going to be in real trouble. Yeah, 100%. And what do I think about that? I think that people don't seem to understand that. They do think that, and that's an aspect, a consequence of this digital thing. It's like, well, these kids have grown up with it. They must know how it works. But behind that is nothing. <laughs> like they've never sold anything. They've never engaged anyone. They've never, you know, so how are they equipped to have those conversations? Um I'm wondering now, is the key to this not just having absolutely brilliant copywriters who can make these automated messages appear natural and personable and all of those things? Uh, both. So the automation itself is just the delivery mechanism. Yes. Right. Not the message. And I, I think it actually requires both. Because the automation is going to look at how people interact with the message and then update and route people to the next part of the conversation or the next part of the journey that's unique to them, right? Yep. If we do A, B, C, D, right, and everyone gets the same experience, it's going to be very robotic and very impersonal. But if we go, you know, for you, Martin, you need A, B, you know, J, K, and Tim, you need A, B, C, F, right? That creates a journey that's personal to me and makes me feel more connected with you as a brand. Um, and this is where this this sort of symbiosis exists between the automation and the technology and the messaging that that automation and technology conveys. Okay. It sounds to me still like it's more sales fulfillment that you're doing than marketing. Uh, yeah, look, I think there's a there's definitely a bit of an overlap. Yes, here and there. Right? At some point, the the value exchange is going to turn from uh, attention to info, you know, attention for information, um, or attention for entertainment is the yep. value exchange we might have at the early part of a, a customer journey. And at some point, it's going to exchange. You know, we're going to have a different exchange where it's money for product or money for service, right? Um, and then we're going to change the value exchange further down the customer journey for, you know, loyalty for, you know, further attention or loyalty for referral or maximization. And so, you know, there is there is definitely a symbiosis, but it's not just sales fulfillment. I think if we if we think of if we think of automation and think of the stuff that we do, for example, as just being around the sales fulfillment, absolutely, that's a very important part of that. But it's not just that part, right? It's this whole customer journey that we want to look at systemizing. Okay, cool. So what I imagined we'd have a conversation would be more about funnels. Now, I know we weren't going to have a conversation about funnels because you don't like funnels. So that, if I think marketing automation, it's about how do I get these top of funnel people to become customers through, for example, automated email threads like if they do this they get that email something something else it doesn't sound to me so much as though like that's the kind of work you're doing uh both yeah we definitely both. do both 
They definitely do. Okay. Better. Yeah. Yeah. And even even sort of beyond that, right? We can automate and systemize an onboarding experience once someone's actually purchased. Right. It, yes. Technically, I guess you wouldn't call that sales, but if someone, if you're sort of pushing someone into your course, you know, as a product, you want to make sure that they complete the course and get value, because if they don't complete the course and they don't get value from it, they're never going to buy the next course. Yes, a hundred percent. What you know, is you your issue then with funnels? Because you said you don't like funnels. Oh, I'm not really a fan of funnels. I mean, funnels as a concept is great, but I think where you know funnels has been hijacked by the direct marketing crowd to say I've 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 thrown a bunch of ads out there. I've got you. You've got money in your pocket. I'm going to take as much of it as possible right now, and then I'm going to piss you off and get on to the next person. Um, I think if we if we think about our customer journey more like a pipe, that all the people that come in one end come out the other, right? It, it changes the dynamic about how we think about stuff as as the people who come into our into our world being expendable. And yet we know, I mean, the whole, I guess, the concept, the sort of loose concept of a funnel is we bring a lot of people, we bring attention for a lot of people and we narrow them down to people who actually want to buy from us. But again, if we think about it at a pipe, if we're doing a service that, you know, has broad appeal, um, we're only reaching the people we really need to reach in the first place, not anyone at random. And we're bringing everyone through that journey at their own speed. Yeah, because there is something about the gross inefficiency of that kind of funnel marketing. I had a brilliant conversation with a guy called Barnaby Winter. I told you about this before. And mm. he said, if I need eight customers, I only want eight people on my website. You know, so th this idea that you, you are talking very, very, in a very targeted way to only the people that you can add value to. And I think there's something really important in that, I think, that, you know, why the whole world, this is, he calls this the, I don't know exactly what he calls it, he calls this the advertising industry swindle or something. Like they convinced everyone that the whole world needs to know about their products and services and that they well, exist. Facebook used to do that. Facebook yes. years ago, when, when they Facebook first started advertising, they had their advertising solution, right? So obviously they used their own platform on Facebook to, to advertise it. Their, their, one of their ads that they ran very early on was like, there are over a, over a billion people on Facebook. All of them could be your customer. Yes. Can't imagine that. A billion customers. That'd be horrible. It would be horrible. <laughs> it would be... <laughs> <laughs> but these are all like, i was telling you the other day i said like i think people are 180 degrees wrong in everything they think about sales and marketing like and one of those examples is customers like when it comes to customers less is more the fewer customers you have the happier you will be 100 percent and um yeah it's i but i don't know where this constant hunger for more customers, more customers, more customers comes from. And it used to happen when I was an agency that I, after I did a talk, there'd be a little queue of people who want to talk to me. And it would always be, we need more customers, more customers, more customers. And I got into the habit of saying, well, what happened to the customers that you've had already? And the answer, of course, is they didn't take very good care of them. They didn't offer them very good value or they didn't set the expectation properly or they didn't know exactly what they needed back in return in terms of value. And so they just, people get on this ridiculous cycle. There's a guy who I think does marketing automation and he's on these pre-roll YouTube ads 
And he says, if you're not getting 200 leads a day, then you're going out of business, essentially, is his message. But leads are work, unless you're automating those leads. I don't know. Yeah, I see a lot of messages around, you know, we'll flood your, you know, we'll flood your sales calendar and, you know, uh, you could get sort of 30 to 40 qualified appointments per week and 20, you know, 20 sales meetings a day. I'm like, I don't want 20 sales meetings a day. I don't know what I'd do with them all, to be honest. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? But it's, it's, it's uh, you know, and, and this, whole, this whole idea of leads, I guess, is what is a lead, right? Is a, yeah. is a lead name, a, a phone number and a name and an email address. Is that a lead? Okay. Certainly some marketers out there would say, yeah, absolutely, that was a lead. And if I want a thousand leads, and which is a thousand names, emails and phone numbers, great, right? Um, one of my favorite films is Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, right? Where he goes, the leads are bad, you know, the leads are good. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fantastic performance by Alec Baldwin in that one, if you ever get a chance to watch it. Um, really good cast as well. Um, but they're talking about what's a lead. Right now, I think the goal of marketing is to get a effectively what we call a sales qualified leader, right? Someone who has a problem that they want fixed, has the budget to fix it, and likes you enough to want you to be the person to fix it for them. And then when you get on your sales call, it's that you deciding whether that you like them enough to want to fix it for them as well. Yes, you know, fix their problem. Right, that would be a sales qualified lead. Right? And that's the job of marketing. The job of marketing is to create that person who has a problem, wants that problem fixed as a priority and has the budget to fix it. Right. And lastly, likes you enough that they're interested in having you solve their problem of all the other people that could solve it for them. Yeah, I think slightly differently about oh, because this is a whole other um, kettle of fish. I think if it's an e if someone's completed a form, like if you Here's what I think. A lead is when someone puts their hand up and says, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to, like a marketing qualified lead then for me is where someone has put their hand up and said, yeah, I'm willing to have a conversation with you about this thing. And then it becomes one-to-one -one and then it's 100% sales. Um, but we have provided people with data. So people will come to us and say, can you get this kind of data? And we say, yes, there's 5,000 available and this is what it costs and blah, blah, blah. And then the very next conversation is, when they phone up the next time is, when are we getting our leads? <laughs> and those aren't leads. Those are names and email addresses on a piece of paper. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. until somebody puts their hand up and says, yeah, I like the sound of this and just I'm hand, willing to exchange with the you. the phone book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. there's many people in the phone book anymore, but say, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> here are all your leads. Yeah. But this is, it again, this is exactly where people are 100% wrong with what they think about sales and marketing, you know, it's like a lead is when, and marketing qualified lead is, um, yeah, I'm prepared to have a conversation with someone. Then they throw the ball to sales and then sales is job then is just to do the qualification. Can we actually help this person? Do they actually have the budget? Do they like us enough? Do we like them enough? You know, that should be the qualification, but it's not the way that it works. Hmm. Um, yeah. I think the missing ingredient, the secret sauce, people like to talk about secret sauce, is just caring, mm. you know? And then I think it doesn't matter if it's the neatest automation or the clumsiest automation or the whatever it is, you will get away with it if actually you genuinely care, you know? And I think the issue comes in where you don't really care. 
where you are just throwing shit at the wall through automation and then when people like this person did today people don't react exactly the way you want them to you think they're horrible people you know that's that's the worst of it so i th- yeah i had a, a really i was on a, a call earlier today um with a with a former client of mine who sort of reached out again and said you know we want we want to do some more work with you um in terms of re-engagement strategy with this list we've, we're about to buy um list of customers and uh, they're like i know that the message you sent me was automated yeah but it didn't feel automated it actually felt like you were connecting directly with me right and i think that's the key right automation creates leverage but we still need to be able to connect authentically and show that we care to our, the people we connect with 100 percent. and you can do that if you understand your prospects well enough and you have a good enough copywriter, then you can do that. And I'm with you. It's like, it would almost, it would be 100% better, I think, if a LinkedIn message read, this is the automated message that I send to people who are like the people that I do business with. They're typically in this situation. They typically need this, that, and the other. And this is how I typically help them. This is the outcome. Do you want to connect? Do you know what I mean? That then is just marketing, you know, and you could tell people it's automated and they might, I think they would appreciate it more. Um, and, and I think the issue then is, like I alluded to before, is how are you going to add value to my life? You know what? You can knock on my door. Anyone can knock on my door. But don't knock on my door and tell me you think I'm handsome. Do you know what I mean? Knock on my door and say, look, this is what I could be doing for you. Do you want to have a chat or not? Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's opening with that deceit. Like I was, you had a really interesting background. What the actual fuck are you talking about? Do you know what I mean? I've just gone to work like everyone else for the last 20, 30 years and had a pretty mediumly, you know, there's nothing impressive about my background. It's just a hollow lie. And then she closed that loop because essentially she was at the end, I hope you don't do business with too many women. I'd only said, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, what's the point? Let's go to question number three. The question number three is what is your recommendation for people who want to get better at marketing automation. And if you can keep this to a minute or two, we'll chop it up and put it on TikTok. Yeah, I would say don't hire somebody. Okay. Look, there's not, there are certain ways, but I think again, it's coming back to map, <laughs> mapping that customer's customer. Duty. All right. I was about to sort of share a joke and say, look, there are 10 steps. All right. The first step is call me and I'll take care of the other nine. Yes. Um, the key is to map your customer journey, right? What is the thing yes. we're going to do? And as adults, we've become very good at simplifying our lives into, uh, you know, just sort of generic statements, right? If someone has to knock on the door right now, you just go and open the door. But just going to open the door requires lots and lots of steps, you know, from a motor neurone perspective to go and do that particular task. Right? And then what happens after you've opened the door is the next set of tasks. Um, building and automating your business is around breaking that down into, you know, steps that an autistic two-year-old could do over and over and over again. Right. And all the possible permutations of that particular thing, right? What if the dog have to, you have to walk around the dog? What if it's your parents and they let themselves in? What if there's nobody there? What if, what if, what if, and it's mapping out all those possible permutations that our brain natively does for us as it's developed over, you know, however long your brain is developed for. Some people it's like not very long. Some other people are 
a little bit more mature. Um, but our brain has simplified all those things. But our systems, we need to kind of do that for our systems. We need to teach our systems what it is that they're doing because they don't know. They're not intuitive, right? They're an autistic two-year-old that have never done this thing before. So we need to teach our systems what to do in all those possible permutations. Yeah, 100%. I think that's the right advice. And then I think, like you were saying before, you need to really look at the business benefit. But also, I think what people don't do is look at the customer benefit. You know, if I think you're automating something because I'll give you the worst example. I hate myself for this, but I really enjoy a McDonald's breakfast. And they put these kiosks in where basically you don't get to speak to anyone anymore to order your breakfast. You do it on this this big screen. And of course, the big screens break and the big scenes, screens need maintenance and all these things. But the biggest issue with it for me is that when you used to be in the queue, you would have the entire menu above the thing. So everyone would be looking, what are we going to eat? Oh, you can and see everything. That, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And now they have to browse all these different categories to find out where the things are. It takes an absolute age for anyone who isn't as dull as me and just knows exactly what they're going to order every time um, to do that. Um, the point of that is that they, what they've done is they've done that to cut out the human interaction they don't want me engaging with a member of their staff because that's too expensive. They've done it just to save the money. And the point of that is, I think this has to be customer centric. I think the first question should be, how does this add value for the customer? And on those grounds, I think maybe it's justified to put some automation together. And then before that, you need to, and everyone needs to understand that you're in business to have customers profitably. You know, that's why you're in business. Um, I'm on one, I'm sorry. Let's go to question number four. Question number four, what should people read? Is there something that you've read that you recommend that people read that has changed your life or your business in some way? <clears throat> God. Uh, yeah, look, I, I mean, not specifically related to automation, but um, I think, you know, in terms of business reading, I would always recommend The E-Myth um, from Michael Gerber. Um, I reckon that's probably compulsory should be compulsory reading for anyone in business um really enjoy their book and, and, and try to read it on a regular basis um another one is uh the oddly enough the four hour work week by tim ferris uh, and i read that probably about the time i was first quitting my my you know corporate day job um and my big takeaway from that book wasn't you know like Gerber talks a lot around systemization and, and you know that sort of stuff which is obviously critical and to grow. Um, Tim Ferriss talked in, in Four Hour Work Week about how to kind of make yourself redundant in your job. Um, but my key takeaway from that one was actually designing your work around your lifestyle, not your lifestyle around your work. Yes. Okay, and I think as a as a business owner. That's a really important thing because we can get lost in this thing we're creating you know, and forget that it is there to serve us and the lifestyle we want, not the other way around. Yeah, I would go further and I would say like it's, it's almost impossible not to get completely lost. Like since I became self-employed 2005, I don't remember sitting down and enjoying like a movie or a holiday or a, you know, somewhere in my head always is there is something that has to happen for my business. So I think that's... Yeah. Well, it's, it's this thing, right? Your, your business is this thing that will take every single hour of every single minute of every single day for the rest of your life and still have more to do. Yes. 
but that's not serving us. And and no. that was my big takeaway from that book, right? It's there to serve me, not the other way around. Okay, super cool. How are you doing with that? Uh, getting there. Getting there. <laughs> the thing is, I think like, just recognizing that that's necessary is a, is an important, the most important step. Understanding that it's an issue. That's that's what they say. Is that the first step in? Right. Uh, first first step is knowing there's a problem. Hundred <laughs> percent. Okay, super cool. So how I can't I can't believe how quick this hour and fifteen minutes has gone. Yeah, it's gone fast, hasn't it? It's gone like super fast. I think this is the fast. Like very often people say, I can't believe it's gone that quickly. But for me, this has gone like super fast. I think it's really interesting and useful. And I think the thing is, this is the last thing I want to say, is that people aren't particularly reliable. So if you need reliable, things to happen reliably, then automation 100% is probably the best way to go. Um, but you have to remember it's about the customer. Okay, good. How has your experience have been? How has your experience been appearing on the Talk Marketing Show? I love the Talk Marketing Show. I love... I love uh... Um, podcasts in general, <laughs> it's good fun. Okay, super cool. It's good fun. All right, yeah, and and you know the opportunity just to I guess share experience and share stories is is awesome. And you know, as a content creation device, <laughs> we've just created yeah. months and months of sound bites and content that we can use. A hundred percent. That's the mission that we're on. The thing that blows my mind about this is I think you're going to be episode eighty two or eighty three, something like that. Um, so I've got now thousands of years of experience in these in these conversations. Like you've been in business for 20 years. One guy was in business for 50 years. He was working in agencies in London in the 70s and stuff. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I think it's really interesting like that. But the reason I check in is because I'm going to ask you to throw a couple of people under the bus now. So who do you think that you know that you can introduce me to might enjoy to be part of this process. Well, you know, noting that you, know, you don't work well with women. <laughs> I'm going uh, I'm to I'm nominate uh, my my very dear friend Samantha Riley. I think she she runs an incredible podcast as well. As well, I think she'd enjoy it. Uh, and um, I think I think uh, probably two people, um, Jackson Milan and Michael Griffiths, would be good um, good podcast guests as well. Right, so. Michael does a lot of work around referral business, um, and Jackson's a fantastic um, wealth coach. A lot of experience and a lot of insight in there as well. Excellent. And what's Declan's name? Dexlin, is it? Sorry? Jackson. Jackson. Jackson and Michael. Okay, super cool. And might you be able to put together like a little uh, LinkedIn Absolutely. intro or I'll email? I'll shoot some intro, some intro emails. Okay, super cool. Well, I don't know what they're in for. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Excellent. Man, thank you so much for being here. This has been, like I said to you before we did this, like I've always, the principle, like you say, of a funnel works across all the kind of marketings. I've never done the marketing automation thing, obviously, to the, the extent that you're doing it. Um, yeah, so it's interesting for me, really interesting for me to hear it from your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, it's been great to be here and thanks for the opportunity to jump on and and uh, and have a chat. I'm looking forward to having you as a return getter. Okay, super cool. We can definitely do that. So what we'll do now is um, we'll say goodbye for the benefit of anyone who's still listening and then I'll stop recording and we can say goodbye like normal human beings. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, man. Thank you for being here. <laughs>